Blue Kimba? I got Kimba! I'm addicted to Kimba. What's a Kimba? Hi, Kimba. Hi, it's me, Kimba. Radio broadcast episode 12, Too Shy Shy. This is a question from Sally, who asks, so how does a shy person become a personality on radio? Very carefully, Sally, very carefully. (laughs) I have mentioned in earlier podcasts that I was extremely shy growing up and well into my radio years, and I hated having my picture taken, hated it, did not want any attention on me, which I realize is counterproductive to what we're talking about here. I'm sure you've heard that you a lot of comedians and or actors being shy and reclusive, and it's kind of the same type of thing. It's not that I didn't have a personality or I didn't speak or anything. I was just more comfortable around my friends being my nutty self. And then I stumble upon radio, which is completely aural at that time. So being a completely aural medium, you could have the creative outlet that radio could give me. And I loved it even more so because I could be in a room by myself with people only being able to hear me, not see me. I would, If I was to compare it to something now, I would compare it maybe to the voice, like you were being based on what was heard. That's all people could know because there was there was no way to see you. There was no internet. There was no there were no websites. The only way you could see what a DJ looked like is if maybe if they had the pictures in the lobby and you came to pick up a prize, or you went out to see an appearance or a concert and you happened to see the DJ hosting that. So we had some semblance of anonymity, and that would even more so if you didn't use your real name or your full name. Now there are some DJs who use their real name. With that, you've got to not mind the potential recognition and having people know your business by you using your real name, meaning every time you show your ID or your credit card to someone, there's a chance they listen and then they'll know every last thing you bought at Target. That's what I'm saying. And for some, um, they just decided they wanted to use their real name and being recognized would come with the territory. For others, they love the attention and that's why they use their real name. So I was very shy and private. Everybody called me Kimba since I was a tween, so why not just use that? Now, there was a there was another set of conditions that came with having a distinct, instantly recognizable single name that were unforeseen by me at the time, but we'll get to that. The shyness didn't prevent me from wanting to do this job, but yeah, it got in the way at times. I mean, I spent the first few years being wildly uncomfortable if someone, especially a boss, more so a boss than anyone else, somebody like that would be in the studio with me when I was about to do a break because I think I would worry I was going to say something. I think usually when I was going to do a break that was probably dancing and tiptoeing on the line or like just they must have felt something in the atmosphere because that's when they would walk in the studio. (laughs) Like, no. (laughs) What's funny about that is you could have thousands of listeners at any given time. And here I am worried about somebody in the studio looking at me. I know it's it's strange, but there it is. So my first live broadcast happened when I was doing nights. And it was 1989. It was a club in Fort Lauderdale. I don't recall which one. I was terrified. I, I mentioned this in, in episode 11 a little bit because I talked to Tom Robinson in episode 11. And he was one of the ones who showed up because in, instead of my beloved padded room, my cocoon, I was going into a club with people. <laughs> And I was going to have to do my show. And I was terrified. 
my boss showed up, Peter Bolger, Tom Robinson showed up, and some other colleagues did too. And, and I was a lucky girl in that they knew that I was basically crapping my pants and they showed up to support me and kind of show me the live broadcast ropes and that, you know, I would survive. Shyness is kind of like a, a phobia in that it's not always logical. I mean, it occurred to me at some point during that evening, after meeting listeners and fans of the station, that people were showing up because they liked the station. So what was I scared of? That I would be heckled? I don't know. I mean, I, like I said, it's not logical. You got to figure they're not going to, people are not going to drive all the way up there just to tell you they don't like you. Well, maybe somebody would. But in this case, odds are people won't go out of their way just to show up and say, we don't like you. I only have one picture from that night. And it is, I took it because the guy looked like Jim Morrison. Soon after, I was at a station event in Westlake Park. It was a concert festival with multiple artists. And I was supposed to do a stage announcement. Soink! Again, terrified, scared. Again, my boss, Peter, was like, don't worry. I'll go up there with you. You know, I'll help you. It'll be fine. So we go up. Peter takes the microphone and proceeds to make every single possible conceivable announcement that you can make. And as he's doing that, I'm thinking to myself, he's still going to introduce me. He's announcing everything. And then he's going to, and here she is. And <laughs> So he did. And I just walked up to the mic and said, what he said. Luckily, people laughed and got a few more things out before exiting the stage. But it was that kind of support and also that kind of trial by fire. Now, you know, he said everything and now he's throwing it to me. I got to do something. I got to have something ready to go. That helped. And then the trip soon after that I took in, in L.A. in 1990, where I went from interviewing no one to interviewing several people, whether they be musicians or actors, several a day. So that helped, but still didn't really cure. Like I mentioned, when I was out in L.A. and had to interview Roseanne Barr and everyone was staring at me, I was so nervous. And I did find that I was better on a, a stage at a very large event where I couldn't see from the spotlight. Like Sunrise Musical Theater had f maybe 5,000 people. And when you're on stage, the spotlight's right in your face. And you really can't you can hear people, but you can't see them. But then if I, say, had to do an announcement from the old Musicians Exchange, it's no longer around. But it was very small. And the stage was a little bit raised, so you were higher up. But people were right there. And you could see their faces. And they're staring at you. And... My nervousness, which I would try to desperately control and hide, and the nervousness was from the shyness, it would come out in the form that my legs would shake uncontrollably, which was fantastic. <laughs> my body's betraying me. Uh, in the mid-90s, though, that's when there was the push to get the faces out more in local magazines like Jam and City Link and New Times. And mine was, of thankfully... They allowed me. Mine was half my face being covered with my hair. <laughs> Prior to that, not knowing what we looked like was fodder for on-air stuff. Like, here's some examples. Hey, Kimba, what's up? What's going on? Hey, listen, um, can you tell me what you look like? Um, Not Harry Roadkill. Okay. Have you ever seen uh, Cindy Crawford? Yeah. I look absolutely nothing like her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, actually, we have the mole. I have that little, like, thing on up there. My friend told me you're a babe. Really? Yeah, he said he saw you at a concert. I said you're a babe. I don't know what you look like. I want to know what you look like. I look like a babe, then. All right, cool. <laughs> uh, a hairy roadkill babe <laughs> who wears men's shoes and has Cindy Crawford's mole. And yeah. I'm not giving it back. Oh. Uh. 
All right, see you later. All right. I am Kimba. Kimba? Yeah. Can you send me a picture of you? Send you a picture? Yeah, of you. Oh, practicing darts, aren't you? What? A little archery practice going on. Yeah, because I wonder how you look. <laughs> no, you don't. Okay. Hello? How about Paul Castanova? Is he as sick looking as he sounds? Oh, shut up. <laughs> how do you pronounce the other guy's name? Young Brown Brewer or something? Kimba? Yeah. Hey, what's up? What's going on? I just want to tell you that um, me and my boyfriend were talking this morning, and um, he saw you in a magazine. Yes. And some local magazine, I'm not sure. Yes. And he's like, you know how she always says she looks like Harry Roadkill? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, she doesn't. <laughs> and I'm like, what that's supposed to mean? And he's like... She looks really good, and I'm like, oh, all right, thanks. Did he say that? Yeah. That's very kind of him. <laughs> You're not going to kick us now, are you? You're not going to beat him, are you? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's all right, because you're cool. Yeah, and then you hear that last one is is when my picture started coming out and people started seeing what, what I look like. Now, of course, there is none of that mystery, which to me is kind of sad. I mean, although what I've learned is it doesn't matter what you look like, really. Really, it doesn't. You could be drop-dead gorgeous. You could look like your neck threw up. If listeners do not like what you're saying or doing or how you sound on the air, it doesn't matter what you look like. And I have found that to be true time and time again. So I really wasn't worried, oh, they're going to see me and not like the way I look. It's just, I like the mystique of it. I liked it that it didn't matter. And it still doesn't. But there was um, an interview where I can hear. I'm not sure if you will be able to. It was at the American Airlines Arena. They had just opened months before, and Korn was playing that night. And I had the chance to interview singer Jonathan Davis. But the room, it was some backstage room, but the room was filled with record people and, and some of the band's people. My kryptonite at the time, being in a small area with people staring at me doing something, and all these people watching me and listening to what I'm asking him right there. And you can hear... You can hear that he had a low energy as well, but I, I hear it. There are times you can actually hear me whispering the quiet, you know, getting really like this, like I'm like I'm hosting a golf <laughs> tournament. Like I'm trying for only Jonathan to hear me. So this is from February 1st, 2000. Yes, I am deep within the bowels or vomitus or whatever the professional technical term is of the American Airlines Arena, and I'm not alone. I have Jonathan Davis from Corn. I don't know if you're aware of this, but you and I are both sharing, experiencing a first together right now. I know. I heard that this is the first ever rock show in this arena. You are correct. First time I've ever been here. First time you've ever been here. I'm, yeah. I'm feeling a moment coming on, a tingle. I like it. I'm glad we don't have to play that at our place here. So we're really excited. It's huge. I like this arena. Good. How did the first night go? First night was all right. There was a lot of things that you know, went wrong with the first night. So certain things didn't, didn't happen when they were supposed to. But overall, it was a good show. So then technically, we'll call this the first night. Yeah. South Florida first night, corn at the American Airlines Arena. Still tickets available. Stained is opening the show. The Spike and Mike Animation Festival is also happening. And uh, congratulations. I know you've been nominated for a couple Grammys. Yeah. Do you plan to be there or are you going to have a date that night? Um, we're playing. So, I mean, I'll believe it when they call us and tell us we won. We've been nominated like two times before. So, we'll see. I hope. I mean, if, it, if we win it, that's cool. But we're going to be here out touring. And you're also up for a couple of California Music Awards, or heretofore known as Bammies. Do they yeah. um, do awards? Do you care about that kind of stuff? Or oh, totally. I like it. I mean, when you work hard, there's only certain things you get for it, and that's one of them. I like those awards. So if we win one, I got one Bammy already. So I like to get another one. It'd be cool. Where do you put them? On my mantle. Nice ornaments. I have a little like 
thing at my house where I have all my awards and stuff. So, speaking of perusing the website, I love some of the uh, the merchandise you guys have. One of them being cornaments, cornaments. and then you've got the corn danas, and then the uh, it was called a, a dugout. What exactly is that? Dugouts for when uh, you smoke <laughs> tobacco. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> it's for smoking. <laughs> is that what I thought? It looked kind of familiar, but I wasn't sure exactly what that was. And speaking of your website. How much are you involved with the ins and outs of that? Um, I mean, not that much, but I mean, enough to where I care. I know all the the webmaster, and we sit down and we make up ideas, and he runs with it from there. But I mean, I, I chat with kids all the time, and I go on the boards and read them, and I'm always on it. And you're very fan involved with and without mm-hmm. the website. I know uh, you had a 17-year-old who wrote the bio mm-hmm. and designing the CD cover and um, fans choosing what songs were going to be done. Yeah. Well, we're just trying to give back to our fans just anything we can possibly do to get them closer to us and make them feel like they're a part of the band. We're going to do it just they put us where we're at, so we appreciate it a lot. My favorite part, because I'm a, a dork of some sort, is when you put the mouse on the uh, the different things, whether you want fashion or whatever, and they squiggle. Oh, yeah, like that? You know, yeah. They go, oh, yeah. That's, that's a good <laughs> There's there. I don't have the audio, but I guess if it was going to make a sound, that's what it would do. Uh, it's Jonathan Davis right there with the sound of the squiggle, I think. Mm-hmm. Anybody else planning to do any kind of uh, modeling? No. Was that just a one-shot deal with David doing the CK? Uh, I don't even want to no. Talk about oh, <laughs> not a good thing. Okay, we'll forget that ever happened. <laughs> question. We'll have that question stricken from the record. Uh, successful show at Woodstock, the uh, Family Values Tour. You said you plan on doing that again? Yeah, we want to do the Family Values Tour sometime. I don't know if it'll be this year, but we'll do it again. And um, Woodstock was awesome. That was really, really cool. We had the good night. You said that was one of your best shows that you remember ever doing, still to this day? Still to this day. It was incredible. It was the first night. Nothing was going crazy, and here we are, and it was, it was the highlight of the whole thing. All right. Elementary, what's going on with that? Um, we're in the process of signing two um, bands right now, one called Dead Sea, and the other's uh, a rap app called RBX. And Orgy's coming out with something soon? Yeah. They're working on their album right now, and it sounds awesome. Elementary, by the way, in case you don't know, is Korn's label, Orgy, video drone on it, and the aforementioned that he was just talking about. Do you have any plans to do any kind of action figure type things with Todd McFarlane, a la, you know, the Aussies doing it, and all these Kiss, all these uh, rock stars coming out with action figures? No, we, we, we had the offer to do it, and we thought it would just be really too cheesy. I don't think, I mean, I, some people like him, but I, I don't know. I'd be kind of just too much. So we're just chilling for right now. I was reading that one of the CDs that changed your life was Motley Crue. Mm-hmm. I love that album. Got me into heavy music. Well, I was like Motley Crue and Dio and um, what else was one? That was about the two I liked. That'd be the Shout of the Devil CD, yeah, by the way. The Devil and like Last in Line. and um, Those were the killer <laughs> albums. I loved Last in Line. I like the Elvis jumpsuit back here. Is there is there anything we need to know about that? No, you can just wait and see. <laughs> All right, there were, that was a little hint, because we're, we're deep in the bowels, once again, of the American Airlines Arena, and there is an Elvis jumpsuit full on. I guess what we should say to that is, Jonathan, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. That's Jonathan Davis from Corn, February 2000. I, I can hear me almost whispering, can you? And it was just, even though, again, listening back, it's not a horrible interview. He was very subdued and kind of mumbly, too. But I know mine was coming from directly from go away stop I could have talked to him one-on-one and I would have been fine but everybody kind of watching and listening to what you're asking him I again doesn't necessarily make sense but that kind of shyness stayed with me for a long time I mean it's still there in that I don't wish to be the center of attention in a crowd or a group 
or a party. <laughs> and I, while I don't use my real full name, because for one, Kimba just worked out for me. I mean, it just kind of was there and made itself, yeah, that'll work. And for two, for privacy reasons, I didn't take into account that the name Kimba might eventually be recognizable given its uniqueness. <laughs> Once I realized that was the case, I would ask my friends, and I love them, not just to say Kim in public or, you know, if they were introduced me, just introduce me as Kim because I really wanted to be, there's a couple, I wanted to be famous anonymously, meaning I wanted to be successful as a DJ and I wanted everyone to know my name with respect to me being a DJ in South Florida. But when I wasn't working, shy me kind of wanted to just go in the background and be my little private life. And it wasn't about not wanting to meet people or listeners, because I always enjoyed that aspect. But I like doing that in the context of when I was working. And I also realized that once people found out who I was, they actually would treat me differently. And I know this because some people I'd meet without them knowing who I was, and then they would find out and and things would change. Their personality would change towards me. I was at a concert. I see a guy who I know as a listener, and I've met him before, and he's with a friend. I'm with a friend, but uh, he and I just say hi and start chatting. We don't make introductions just yet and because we're too busy razzing each other because that's what we did. So we're razzing each other, and then uh, I guess I left to go get a drink, or they left to go get a drink in any case return and the guy the guy's friend says oh my god Kimba I'm so sorry I didn't know who you were and I was like sorry for what we were having fun like you don't have to treat why, why do you think you have to treat me differently fast forward to now you can introduce me any way you want whatever I, I mean I got to that point uh, mainly because of a little boy by the name of Dylan he was born in 2000 and he only knew me as Kimba so you try telling a two-year-old not to yell your name in a public place good luck with that so again, in another trial by fire way, this adorable little boy got me over the people are going to hear your name and know who you are. I mean, I guess there are worse things in the world, right? Um, add to that the changes in the way that radio is becoming or has become far more visual. I mean, when I first went to Light FM in 2003, they had a studio cam and I could not stand that thing. I mean, because it, it was it was actually behind you. So you just see the DJs from the back. And I know that was so you could see the board and everything, but really? And then I would make sure if I was grabbing a bite, I'd go out of camera range because there's really nothing more exciting than watching me have a sandwich whilst Celine Dion is playing. Truly frolic. Coast 2010. They had a camera, but that was more for security. But it still takes getting used to to know that you're on camera all the time. And then you jump to social media, selfies, videos, all becoming more prominent. And I was still resistant, not only because of the shyness, but I still really loved that mystique of radio. I loved that you had to use your imagination. And that was my first reason and, and appeasing my shyness would just be a bonus. But since it wasn't going anywhere, and neither was I, I tried to find have ways to have fun with it. And I'm referring to all the social media and, and I would post on station accounts mostly, but it, it took a little bit longer to make my own because I knew I would want to have two accounts a private and a public. Finally, I did it. And I had a Facebook is the one where I had an alias for private and it worked for a couple years. 
under the name of Penelope Schnickelfritz until colleagues would tag Penelope Schnickelfritz in posts of pictures of us. And then you'd see comments on their page like, nice alias, Kimba. <laughs> so I finally changed the Penelope to Kimba, but because people love the Schnickelfritz so much that I left the, the Schnickelfritz, but I, I gave up the trying to make that private a long time ago. One thing that I do like, I do like change and I do like new technology. So I had fun learning and still learning and my desire, ultimately, my desire and my love for being on the radio ended up being stronger than any of my shyness that I had. And I just learned to work around it and in some cases get over it. And I think it worked out okay. Here I am doing a podcast on video and audio. Who knew? Uh, thanks, Sally, for your requestion. And that is how this shy girl became a radio personality. I thank you for being one of Kimba's herd. If you are interested in any of the visuals that accompany this podcast, there's the vodcast, youtube.com slash her Kimba. And thanks for listening to me, Kimba, radio broadcast episode 12 to shy, shy, hush, hush, I don't know. This Kimba's on the radio.